Father, we call upon you for your insight and your wisdom. As the book of James says, if we ask for wisdom, you give it to us without finding fault. And we pray that the words that John is writing to the church, that those words would stick with us, that we would heed the counsel, we would remember what is said. And when issues come up that he writes about, we pray that we would not only recognize them, but be able to take action, action either positive, action that is enduring, action that is corrective. Help us in these things, Lord, that we might be your disciples and that you might build your church through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, since the book is so small, I'm just going to read through the first few verses again, and we're going to continue and pick up from where we were last week. It says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And so here he promotes the common love that he has with the chosen lady. And I told you last week, this is probably the church. It may be a woman in specific that has opened up her house to a church, but it's probably the church in general. And her children would be satellite churches that had come off of the main church there. And they would be house churches at this time. And he talks about love and he talks about truth. And we went over all of that last week, including the mercy the grace and the peace, and you can't have peace until you have the grace of mercy of God. Focusing on love and truth, I went through that, and verse 5 says, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but the one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and that this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you have heard from the beginning, his, commands, his command is that you walk in love. And so that love is the word agape, which is a sacrificial love, considering others better than yourselves. And then we got into deceivers in verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who comes, or excuse me, anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete to the children of your chosen sister send their greeting. Now, I talked about deceivers, and I talked about modern-day deceivers. The purpose of deceivers, those who come in and they have some agenda, they want to seek control. They want to be empowered to be the power. They want to make sure that they are able to manipulate anything inside the church for their benefit. Uh, they usually don't shun any kind of flattery, and it is them. It's all about them. It is not about the body of Christ or Jesus Christ himself. 
And you can recognize people who are self-centered, who focus on themselves all the time, who always talk about themselves. That's the boastful pride of life. You can tell when it comes from the flesh of all the things that we have accomplished personally and we want to let everybody know what we have done. Uh, my daughter, she texted me this last week and she, we happened to go to North County and we were up by this brand new church that was up there and there were some signs that said pastor's parking. And I always told her that I didn't like those signs that said pastor's parking. It's like I could put one right up out front here, right in front of the lawn. And that's not what a pastor is supposed to be. A pastor is supposed to be a doulos, a slave, and he's supposed to consider others better than themselves. And so if you put up a sign like that, that means he's considering himself first. And so my daughter texts me and she goes, I have a real problem with this. You know, so she understands that anybody who's in the church who is in ministry is not seeking their own good. They are seeking the benefit of others. Any places that seem to uh, want to be designated as a pastor spot should be designated for those who have infirmities, those who can't get out of their cars. And the pastor should be the one hiking it in from 100 or 200 yards away. And so that's the difference between somebody who is a deceiver who is working inside the church and somebody who is, who is a servant. Now, the particular characteristics that are listed here, it says that they will deny the incarnation, at least back at that time, the deceivers that were coming into the church, they denied the incarnation. Now, this is also true with some cults which are out there and some false world religions. They also deny that Jesus was God in the flesh. And you have to know that Jesus is the exact representation of the being of the Father. If you have seen Jesus Christ, you have seen the Father. Secondly, if we follow them, if we follow their teaching we can actually lose their reward. Now, if you have a Bible, I just want to remind you of this, those who are familiar with it. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in chapter 3, it talks about reward. And it talks about the reward that we will receive in a metaphorical way. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. And you will indeed have a reward. If you belong to Christ, he is going to reward you for what you have done for him and his kingdom on this earth. And that means those things that you have done for others because he has called you, because he has loved you. Now here, again, it is metaphorical. In verse 11 it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. The book of Job talks about getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. How much skin do you have on your teeth? If you have skin... It's very, very thin. Now, you don't have skin, obviously. But he is saying here in this particular passage, you do these works for God, and if you use gold, silver, precious stones to do your works, and that means it's costly. It costs you something to do the works. You have to sacrifice in order to accomplish the works. If you do those, your work will remain. But if you build something for the Lord out of wood, hand, stubble. It means your heart's not in it. 
You're not really putting forth the effort. You don't want to sacrifice too much. You don't want to give of yourself too much to it. Well, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. You're doing it for the wrong motives. You're doing it maybe for your own aggrandizement, for your own lifting up. And he says, if you follow a teacher like this, a deceiver, you also run the risk of losing your reward. And so when I speak on Sunday morning, it is also your task to check and see if what I'm saying is true. If it's not true, you're supposed to come to me and say, I don't think this is true. And I'm supposed to go, really? You're just wrong. No, I I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I would say, well, where is it? What am I missing? I'm supposed to find out. And you're supposed to check me. And I'm supposed to check you. That's what scripture has to say. And we're supposed to receive it humbly. We're not supposed to... If somebody wants to correct me or if somebody wants to correct you, we're not supposed to get all offended like, who are you to tell me? We're supposed to listen to what they have to say and be willing to be corrected. God uses each of us in order to accomplish this. And we want to make sure that we are always in line with God's word so that we are never running the risk of losing our reward in heaven. And he tells us to work for that. And we are to serve not for satisfaction of ourself, but for the satisfaction of Christ. The deceiver will not do that. Thirdly, if we move on from the teaching of Christ in the Bible, we are not saved. So he talks about this. And the word that's used in the original language, and John was targeting the Gnostics in this. Because the Gnostics were thinking, okay, we're in this church, but now we have an advanced knowledge even more so than everybody else in the church. Remember, when this was written, they didn't have the Bible. The Bible was still being put together. Now, they had a lot of it at that particular point, but it was still being put together. And so prophets would come in, and they would tell people what God's will was. They'd be directed by the Holy Spirit. They'd declare God's will, and God would build his church. Today, we have the completed Bible, but at this time... They didn't have the completed Bible, and so it was still being built. The Bible was only affirmed in its content by the church at 325 A.D. That was in the 4th century, or uh, four centuries after the birth of Christ is when that took place, and that was by Constantine in the Council of Nicaea. And so it wasn't until later. They had the scriptures before that, but it was official at that point for the church. But the, they were reading through the letters at this particular point, And some recognize them as scripture already. Even uh, Peter, I believe, calls Paul's writing scripture. And and so it was recognized, but still there were prophets that were coming along and they would say certain things. And so the Gnostics were there and the Gnostics would say, well, we have more understanding. We're going beyond what has been written already. We're going to take you to a new level. And that's even around today. You can go to some churches and they will say, yeah, I know it's in scripture, but brother, you need to get in step with the spirit. You know, this is like the next level. Run, like I said last week, forest, run. If you hear something like that, Don't hang around. If you need to know anything about God at all, it is sufficient. The Bible is the complete work. You don't need anything added to it. If something's going on you're a little unsure about, check it out in Scripture. Go find those elders and deacons and those pastors and teachers that would help be able to guide you. Fourthly, we are to shun those who are deceivers and are of the spirit of Antichrist. The deceivers who would come in 
that would have a tendency to take a group of people next to themselves and, and cut them off from the pack, so to speak. Those people you don't want to have anything to do with. The leaders of the church, when that happens, are supposed to be confrontational in a loving way. They're supposed to go up to them and say, what are you doing? You know, I heard you talk to so-and-so and you said that this was true or that's true. And you need to start practicing this and doing that. And what are you doing? And that's the leader of the, or that's the job of the leaders in the church. They're kind of like sheepdogs. You know, they go around, they, not that they sniff everybody, but they go around and they're, they're just taking stock of who's who and what's being taught and what's being communicated. And so we are to take those who are not of the truth, who are the spirit of Antichrist, and we're to just kick them out of the church. We're say, look, we want to keep this church pure. Fifthly, if we make them our friends, we are just as guilty of their sin of leading other, uh, others astray. So say somebody comes in that's a real deceiver, and usually that particular person is going to be very friendly. You're going to like them. They just have this outgoing personality. They're always kind of upbeat. You know, they maybe have the Tony Robbins attitude. Everything is positive-oriented, and they just start leading people off in another direction. And we are not to become their friends. We're not to be sucked in by them. Scripture warns us about an angry man in the book of Proverbs too, that you're to avoid an angry man, somebody who's just angry all the time. Maybe you've had these instances. I had one where I was in a, a line, I think it was at Home Depot, and some guy turned around to me. And we're just standing in line, and he started complaining how mad he was at this and that. And I'm just going, I don't even know you. <laughs> Talking to me like that. Well, there are people in the church that can be angry like that too. But the, the people that are the deceivers just get away from them. Don't even mess with them. Don't listen to what they have to say. Don't become their friends at all. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so they will end up leading you astray. And you want to take protections against that. And also sixth, deceivers are condemned by Christ. In first John chapter two, actually turn over there if you would. First John chapter two in verse 19, these deceivers, they'll eventually, if they're caught, so to speak, inside the church, they'll eventually leave the church. And John has a few words to say about those who would leave fellowship. Now, back then, if you're in this church and go, all right, I, I'm just going to leave because I don't like the pastor's hair. You know, he doesn't let it grow out. And so I'm, I'm just going to go somewhere, somewhere else where I feel comfortable. And if you wanted to leave, you could go to any one of the number of churches around Lakeside and you could plop yourself down there. Somebody that has longer hair, you can listen to them and be satisfied all day long. It'd just be wonderful. Back then, you couldn't just leave the church. There was usually one or maybe two. And so if you wanted to leave the church, the pastors knew each other. Now in Calvary Chapels, we know each other, most of us. There are some pastors' luncheons coming up. They just changed the date on one that's coming up for the Calvary guys. We don't know too many of the other pastors outside. There is an ecumenical uh, meeting here in Lakeside. I attended it once about 23 years ago, and I haven't been back since. It's just, it's 
not for me. You know, I, I know what I believe. I know where I'm heading. I know what I want to do. And I don't want to spend a lot of time in meetings. But the Calvary chapels, we have a lot of things in common. And so we get together and we meet and we talk. And, you know, every once in a while we say, hey, I'm sending you somebody. And, you know, they, they get a particular person and we, we let them know there are some problems here. Be ready. This person could be an issue inside of your church. Uh, you want to make sure that everything is okay and up and up. And it's not that we're gossiping about each other. We simply want to inform the other pastor that we are like one church as a Calvary Chapel. We're making sure that everybody is okay, that everybody is protected, that there's no shenanigans going on, that there's not deceivers going through the body, and we let everybody know if that is the case. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but we are also supposed to let the people go if they want to go. And if they go, there's two ways to look at this. If they go out from the church body, the local church body, they were never really part of the church body. If they remain and they're here for the duration for a long period of time, well, they're part of our church. This is our church. Now, we don't have an official membership role as Calvary chapels. Some Calvary chapels have a membership thing that they go through, but most of them do not. You're part of the body of Christ. You show up, hey, welcome, fellow Christian, fellow believer. That's great. But if they leave and go to another church, they weren't part of the local church. They may be a part of another church eventually. But if they leave Christendom, they were never part of us. They were never a believer. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, this is the encouragement that I gave the youth this week, one of the things that I taught them. Since they are just starting in their Christian walk, their comprehension is becoming fully developed and what's taking place. And I told them, whatever you do as you grow up, don't just grow away from the church. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church, the universal church. No matter where you might go, find some place to fellowship. Search until you can find a church to be involved in, to where you can get to know the people, to where you can be accountable. If you just kind of slough away, this First John chapter 2, verse 19 applies. Then you start going, well, am I really saved? Those who are saved will persevere how long? To the end. They will persevere to the end. They will stick with the program. They won't just after 10, year go, 10 years say, I'm done. You know, that was a phase of my life. If that's true, they were never saved. They were never part of the body. And you might say, well, wait, I prayed with them. I served with them. I saw their sacrifice and they had to be part of the church. They must have lost their salvation. It says distinctly here that they were never part of the church. People come in that may look like an orange, may smell like an orange, but it's an apricot. It's not even an orange, you know, so uh, you might be worried or concerned about that, but God knows whose are his or to whom uh, belongs to him. And so we want to make sure that we don't worry and fret about that. If somebody wants to go elsewhere, bless them. If they want to walk away, pray for them that the Lord would draw them back. That is also our task Uh, going on here. Now, this idea of a deceiver. There are people that are deceivers, as I've told you, and they want something. They want to control. They want to enslave. They want to direct. They want to be in charge. They want to be the authority. They want to have others in submission to them. 
Now there's this guy in the Old Testament. Most of you will know his name. He was a rebellious man. And he took others with him in his plight to be in charge. And it happened in the wilderness. And he was told to take a censer and fill it full of incense and bring it before the Lord one morning. Do you guys remember who that was? Korah. Remember Korah and Korah's rebellion? Now, you're going to have to take out your Bible. I want you to open up. I want you to go to the Old Testament. I want you to go to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Now, this is a classic deceiver. This guy, when you're doing a message, you always want to go to the Old Testament if you can and find an illustration there and and bring it to the forefront of how it applies in the New Testament. But this guy was a deceiver. He wanted to be in control. (coughs) In Numbers, chapter 16, verse 1, we see this guy named Korah mentioned in verse 1, son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth. And they became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. And so this guy says, look, we're starting our own movement here inside the movement of the Israelites, and we want to be in charge, is what he's saying. Then in verse, let's go down to verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. Him and Moses, Korah and Moses, they had some words between us. And then Moses talked to these other guys, Dathan and Abiram. And he says in verse 13, Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land? Or excuse me, uh, these guys are talking to Moses. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? So first you have Korah. He wants to be in charge. He brings 250 people with him. And these guys are now complaining. You brought us out here into the desert and we're wandering around and you want to kill us. And so there's dissension in the ranks. Now, I quoted a verse to you out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. There are six things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. The last one is a man who stirs up dissension. So what do you think God thinks about Korah? It's not a happy day for Korah, right? So... And he's gotten these other guys, Dathan and Abiram, and they're all stirred up. Verse 16, so they're going to have a showdown here. Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take a censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. And so he's going to say, or he says to them, there's going to be a test tomorrow. Show up. Have your censor. We're having a showdown. It's like a duel, kind of. But he's not dueling against Moses. He's going to be dueling against God himself. Verse 23. Here they are, gathered together. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Do you think it's going to go good? (laughs) 
It is not going to go good. Now, there are thousands of people here. They think there was one to three million people that came out of the Exodus, and here they are in the wilderness. And Moses, previous to this verse, Moses and Aaron get down on their face. They know what's going to happen. They are praying to God, you know, oh, God. And Moses was kind of upset about this. He was kind of complaining to God a little bit. If you read the, you can go back and read the whole story. But at this particular time, God says, move away. Step away from these guys. So they step away. Then in verse 28, then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. In other words, they are accusing him. What are you doing? You think you're the guy in charge? We should be in charge. Who set you up anyhow? And so he's answering him. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Now it's getting exciting. These people, they're going to the side going, no way. No, this, no, really? Well, here's what happens. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive to the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 who were offering the incense. I think the Lord was mad. I think he said, I'm not going to put up with this. You guys are a bunch of rebellious people. You are deceivers to the core. And because this was going through the ranks, this is probably going beyond the 250 where there was complaining inside the camp. Remember, there's one to three million people. So it wasn't limited to 250 plus Korah and these other two guys. It was going through the ranks and the Lord was going to bring back into control what was getting out of control because of a deceiver. Now, because of this one guy... I want you to look at farther down. It says in verse 41, The next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, You have killed the Lord's people. See, I told you, it's going through the ranks. Moses, you're the one that's to blame. Did Moses do anything? He was completely innocent, right? But it didn't matter to the people. And so because of this, Verse 42, but when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned towards the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went in front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from the assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down and Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. In verse 49, 14,700 people died from the plague. And what was this cause from? One deceiver. Do you see how one person inside the body can wreak havoc? And the Lord does not like this. In the Old Testament, he just killed them. In the New Testament, 
God is patient, and they will be judged. If somebody goes through any church and they cause any kind of disruption like this, God is going to judge them, and he's going to judge them ever so severely. Now, in this life, uh, people might think that they're getting away with it, but God is a just God. He is also a merciful God, and he can extend mercy whenever he wants to, and he's a loving God. He loves us so much that he has done all of this to prepare us, to warn us. He's given us instruction, both Old Testament and New Testament, about deceivers so we can help cut these things off at the pass. So it is our job to recognize this stuff and to make sure we don't give in to these heretics, to these people who are deceivers. A deceiver will gather others around them. Those that follow the deceiver will be harmed, sometimes spiritually, sometimes physically. A deceiver will cause others to grumble. Their actions will eventually affect everyone. Moses was angry, but let the Lord deal with it. He only prayed and offered sacrifice. That's how we're to respond, just like Moses. Even though we might be angry, we just pray. We offer a sacrifice of praise. We give thanksgiving to God say, God, thank you for what you've done so far. This is a terrible thing. But we ask that you would move, that you would take care of what's going on. Now, this is instruction for us that we would be aware. I'm sometimes the last person to find out what's going on. You know already if there are complainers inside the church, right? You know Philippians 2.14. It's a good one to memorize. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I don't care what it's about. If it's the color of the floor, the color of the coffee, the color of the paint, we're not supposed to complain about anything. The teacher, you know, whatever's going on. The message, if you want to complain, come and talk to me. But we'll go on from there. Going on, if we get to Third John. Now, Second John, he affirms his love for the people. He calls everyone to stay the course, to cling to solid doctrine, walk in love. And walk in the truth, avoid heretics and heresies. Third John, to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I gave, excuse me, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. In other words, he's saying Diotrephes has not seen God. He is not a believer. Anyone who does, excuse me, going on, verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends here send their greeting. Greet the friends there in my name. So you have a couple of guys here. You have Gaius and Demetrius. 
these guys are examples of those who walk in the truth. They have a good reputation with those inside and probably outside of the church. And it gives Paul great joy to see these guys (coughs) are ministering to the brothers that probably he sent over there to minister to the church. Now, this gives us some indication of what we are supposed to do as the body of Christ. When those come into the church that are from the outside, we are to be hospitable to them. We are to put them up if we can, if they're missionaries, if they're pastors, if they're working for the Lord. Like when we go over to Cambodia, arrangements are made for us over there. Now, we send money on ahead because they are a poor country, but arrangements are made for us. We are put up in a good hotel. Transportation is there. Uh, We make our flights here, but they take care of us. They take us to the restaurants. They make sure that we have some food to eat, and we bring some food along as well. But they care for us while we're over there. If they were to come over here, we do the same thing. We take care of them. So we're supposed to be hospitable. But it also says in verse 6, They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Now, you read that and you go, what does that mean exactly? It seems like it's cloaked language. You're supposed to give them some cash, some cold hard cash. You're supposed to help them. You're supposed to support them. Those who work hard in the Lord or are reaching out to their community, wherever they might be, if we are affiliated with them, we're supposed to send it on. We're supposed to help them out. The money that you give, and I've talked about this before, that we support missionaries who go out and do their work. We find other ministries in other parts that don't have as much, and we help them. That's the way we're supposed to operate as the church. Now, to give you an idea, I read this last uh, couple of months ago, but I just want to make you aware of it again. We support down in Mexico Basilio Nunez in San Catin. We send a monthly check to most of these people. Kent and Sherry Pixley, they were here several months ago. I interviewed them here on stage. I've known Kent and Sherry since the uh, days in seminary. We went through seminary together, and we had a good relationship, and we've been supporting him this whole time over in Croatia. I think he started in Split, and now he's in Trogir. Uh, over there, he speaks the language fluently. He has become just like an everyday Croatian, and we support him in his work. We also support the Lakeside Help Center in our own community. We give them a monthly check over there. Now, all the church in, is, churches in Lakeside, we try to get together and we give them some money so that like at Thanksgiving, they are able to get together packages of turkeys and things like that. We give them turkeys and, and food and canned goods. We have a box back there uh, and we, uh, what is it, the first of the month that we take that over there, Liz, about the first of the month? Yeah, so we take that over there and we stock that. And there are people that will come to the church and it's been the goal of the churches in Lakeside. Let me look, but since we all don't want to have to keep a food bank, let's put it in one place and we can send people over there and we can give a recommendation and you can go over there and you can get help. Now that doesn't relieve us from watching over our own body, but if people come in from the outside, we direct them to the Lakeside Help Center and it's a common hub for the churches in Lakeside, and so we support that. We also support Drew McIntyre, Calvary Chapel Alpine. He's the one that we go to Cambodia with. Uh, he has gone, I think, 40 weeks out of the year doing missionary outreach. We also recently took on an orphanage in Cambodia. 
It's called the Children of Hope. And currently there are 20-plus kids in this house. I've been there. Uh, It's like four stories high. There's not much furniture there. A lot of times they'll sleep on beds. Sometimes they sleep on the floor, a tile floor. It's kind of cool to be able to do that. But they're little kids. And uh, the director over there, her name is Catherine Steele. Catherine is about this tall. Well, maybe, uh, maybe she's about that tall. She's a small blonde woman in her 20s. And she's adopted one or two of the kids, and she takes care of the rest of them along with a Water of Life or Calvary Chapel Phnom Penh. We support them. We give them a check. We just recently started doing that every month now. There's also a, uh, it's like a house of refuge. It's a house for girls. Girls that are taken out of the sex trade over there. They are kidnapped from the sex trade, and they put them in this house where they're being abused and they re-educate them and they kind of give them a new view of life, what life's all about and what wrong behavior is. And they have to really be helped out because it's a terrible thing that's going on. And that is, again, through Calvary Chapel, Phnom Penh, that we help them over there. Also, Mexico Caravan Ministries, we're going down again. We help support the ministry by going down there and building the houses. And there's another outreach that we may be taking a part in down in Mexico with Ron Brink. And then Pastor Hung, whenever we go over to Cambodia, we give him assistance in what he is doing uh, through the the congregation that goes over there, the Church Universal, whether we're from Mexico or Australia or Lakeside or Alpine, we get some money together and that goes to help him in his support. And so the money that you bring in here, according to this scripture, we're to send them on in a way that is worthy of God. We're not supposed to hoard the money for ourselves. We're not to build our own kingdom. So the Lord provides what we need when we need it. And so that is an indication from the scripture we're doing exactly what we're supposed to. We're not withholding from those who are out. Now, the more you give, the more we give. The more people we find that are doing effective works, and I like personally to send it where nobody else is. I want to find the farthest place and the farthest reach of the world to send to somebody or help them out so that they can give the gospel out. In Southern California, how many churches are there? Thousands. There are thousands of churches in Southern California. In Saudi Arabia, how many country or how many churches do you think there are? In Yemen. How many churches do you think there are in Yemen? Maybe one, and it's probably underground, or maybe two, and they're underground. You know, if somebody is over there, I want to support them. I want to help them get the gospel out, and hopefully we are like-minded in this. And so we are given instruction through this word here, and Gaius is faithful to the truth. He exhibited love to others in the faith. He was hospitable even to tra- strangers. He was a traveling companion of Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. He was baptized by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. He was one of two. And he was from Derby in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. So we are given a little bit of information about that, guys. But Diotrephes was a, a false teacher who loved to be first, and he was gossiping maliciously. You know, what kind of pastor is that? gossips maliciously about other churches. Well, I wouldn't go over to that church over there. You know, they just, they're ugly. That's why you don't want to go over there. You know, you can complain about every other church. I don't care. I long since abandoned this. I don't care if a church moves in next door. I don't care. 
It doesn't matter to me. The Lord will bring whoever he wants to bring. We were in the Blockbuster Shopping Center over there before we came here. And in the back, they used to have the RC racing. Well, the church wanted to move in there. And at first I thought, that's our parking lot. You know? And then I thought, what am I doing? I slapped myself. I don't care if there's a church on every corner. I've heard people say in Lakeside, there are too many churches in this town. I, I don't care if there's, you know, if the gospel is going out and people are getting saved and people are being raised up and disciples are being made. Praise the Lord. Let's put one on every single corner. What will happen to the community if that takes place? It'll start to shape up a little bit. You know, we will be the light to all who are around here. And then it's our turn as a group of churches to go out, to send others out and make this happen everywhere else. Now, eventually, uh, the church is going to be gone. And there won't be an influence. So the time is short where we need to go out and we need to be that influence and we need to point out people like Diotropes and we need to point out people like Gaius so we know who to follow and who to avoid. Diotropes, he tried to accumulate power. He gossiped maliciously. He was inhospitable to those who opposed him. He opposed those in the church who were hospitable to others. He tried to control them. This is the same guy that would be a deceiver in Second John. And he was an evildoer. Demetrius, on the other hand, just like Gaius, he was spoken well of by everyone. And also the truth bore witness of who he was. When people read the truth, they would say Gaius, or they would say uh, Demetrius. They would say, this is what the word says. That's Demetrius. Demetrius is the word. The word is Demetrius. Just like Jesus is the word, and the word is Jesus. So you want a model to follow? Demetrius, Gaius, Paul. Diotrephes, don't be like him. And so this is John's encouragement to the church. He's simply telling him, watch out. There's guys out there who would take advantage of you, guys out there who would hurt you, who would do damage to the body of Christ. And then there are guys that we are so blessed to have, and women too. He didn't mention the women here, but in other scriptures, women are mentioned. And what a great job they're doing. So let it be our goal that we are being like these men and the women from other places in Scripture, that we are putting forth the effort, that we are not sitting idly by, that we are giving to those who are going out and doing the work, that we are determined to have an influence in this world for Jesus Christ and to be a benefit to the body in general. Now, we can do this, but we can't do it on our own. We have to do it through the impetus of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides and direct us. This is my prayer for you. That you would be sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit, His leading, that you would not shun His instruction. If you need to get baptized, get baptized. If you need to give money to a particular cause or a ministry, give it to that cause. If you see people who are manipulating, controlling, and, uh, and gossiping, make sure you're able to point those out and recognize that. Don't keep your mouth shut about things like that. Make sure you say something. Make sure your interests are over the body of Christ that you want to protect and care and nurture those who are here. If we do so, we will fulfill God's command to love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... John, we thank you for the New Testament that you have given to us. We thank you that we have completed it here again for the second time. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to just pay attention to the words which are written. That, again, we might be a benefit not only to ourselves, but to all who are around us. And until you come, help us to be about your work. 
loving others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.